Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. And we've been in this series where we're talking about living in the overflow, living the kind of, living the kind of life that flows from the Spirit. It flows from the inside out. Uh, many times we live in a way that feeds our soul from the outside in. Things that the world presents us, things that circumstances bring us, sometimes positive things, sometimes negative things. But it's really, lo- it's really hard to have consistency when you're dependent on, your, on the things that are out, outer things. It's hard to have direction when you don't know what you're going to face the next day. That's why it's important for us to live from the inside out. Now, something that we need to understand and we've been exploring is that we all have different parts. There are different parts of you. Um, I, I said a couple of weeks ago that you're like an onion, right? We have layers. Even the most open of us, we have different layers. There are different parts of us from the innermost part to the outermost part. And this is represented in different environments that you might be in. Like the way you act at home... It's not the same way you act at work. Hopefully not, right? You have your professional persona. You have your work persona. And then at home, you relax. You're yourself. You're just, you're free. The way you act at work and at home is not the same way you act at a special event like a wedding or a gala or a graduation, right? There are different ways that you present yourself. You present yourself accordingly. It's not because you're inauthentic. It's because you can read the room. You can see what's happening, and you present yourself appropriately. In the same way, we're made of these different parts, and these different parts have a flow. They have a hierarchy. The outer part doesn't have the same value as your inner part, and sometimes if we flip them, that's when life can get a little crazy. So we started this series going from the outside in. We talked about the outermost part how we present ourselves, and what influences that. And uh, we, we learned that what influences your outermost part is your lifestyle. The outermost part is your work, your performance, what you show the world. Your lifestyle is your attitudes, your habits, your values. And those things shape what, what, how you present yourself to the world. Then last week we talked about the thing that, is, that shapes your lifestyle. What shapes your values, your attitudes, your, your, your habits, and that is your environment. The places you place yourself in, you, you, the place that you live or the place that you work, those environments can, can shape how you see the world. And then uh, today, we're going to go a layer deeper. What shapes the environment? What, what, what influences the environment more than anything else? And that is relationships. That's why I love what we just watched in our, think, in our Thanksgiving video. Because most of the, those who, who spoke what they were grateful for, they talked about church, friends, and family. And that's all relational. That's all about people that are around them. By the way, Maya, thank you that you were feeling the dad moment. I know you love mom so much, but I'm thankful for you too, my firstborn. Maybe she wants Starbucks. No, I'm kidding. It's not because of that. (laughs) Relationships. See, the people you share your life with are a big influence on your environment. 
a big influence on your lifestyle, a big influence on how you present yourself, the visible parts of you. And this is where this series is going to get a little bit more intimate. Because you can kind of present yourself in your environment, in your lifestyle, in, 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 in a way that it, it's not intimate, right? You can have that, that persona, that facade, sometimes healthy, sometimes unhealthy, but you can present yourself however you want. But when it comes to relationships, it's hard to carry an authentic relationship or a long-term relationship without you showing who you really are. So we're, we're going to go a little deeper, a, a, layer, a layer deeper, and it's going to get a little bit more personal, a little bit more intimate. And, and I want to focus on a specific aspect of relationship today. Because uh, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but there's a deep connection between relationships and purpose. How you relate to other people and your purpose. And a lot of people nowadays have trouble knowing what they're living for. You know, they wake up one day, they've been living in this cycle of life, or maybe they've been living in this, this cyclical uh, uh, day in and day out, and they can wake up one day and think, man, what am I living for? What am I actually living for? Can I ask you that? What are you living for? Why do you work? Why do you labor? The part of living in the overflow of the Spirit is that purpose is revealed to you. Because purpose comes from the inside. It's hard for you to get purpose from the outside because it changes all the time. But when you, when you live out of the overflow of your Spirit and your parts are integrated, then purpose is revealed to you. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Scripture says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, for what? To do good works. You are created for a purpose. There's work that has been prepared for you, and he says, which God prepared for us in advance. So God, before you, even, you were even formed, before he even made you, he prepared the work that you're supposed to do. So whether you know your purpose or not, God does. It's in his hands. Your purpose is clear to God, whether you know it or not. That's why when you live out of the overflow of the Spirit, your purpose is revealed to you because God shows what it is. Now, when we live like aimlessly, purposeless, which all of us can fall in the trap of doing, it's typically because life is disintegrated. What do I mean by that? I mean, an integrated life is a life that's connected. A life that has all its parts flowing from and to each other. But many people today, they lead lives that are disconnected. They are detached. They are disintegrated. You know, you know like it, 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 one thing doesn't connect to the other. And to live, to engage our spirit properly... To live a life of faith, a life that's connected to God, we need to understand that all these other parts of us, they can't be disconnected. They ought to be integrated. They got to be connected. Now what happens in the course of life is that sometimes, and this is out of a good intention, sometimes to protect ourselves or maybe to protect our loved ones, we build walls. Walls of separation on these different parts and different areas of our lives. You know, there's walls that we build between our work life and our home life. Walls that we build between her family and his family. 
And then on Thanksgiving, the walls come down, and then you realize why you built the walls. <laughs> walls between our past life and our present life. And I'm not denying that some of these boundaries are, are helpful. I mean, some of these boundaries can save your marriage, depending on what kind of in-laws you have. It can save your life, or maybe their life. You know, but <laughs> in an effort to make things less complicated, we create these compartments. And, and sometimes we don't want to bring work troubles, home, troubles from work home, and sometimes we don't want, we don't want things to mix. And, and, and the separation can be useful at times. It can be healthy. But only until the point where they're ser serving the greater good. Only until the point where they're, they're undergirding and supporting your life's purpose. But if you, if you live and, and continue to build on that separation, the risk that many of us fall into is that life becomes disintegrated. And then we begin to live a double life. Then the person that you're at home is not the same person you're at work. Not because you're presenting differently, but because you're actually living a double life. And that's when disintegration begins to happen. These walls of separation exist. And one of the big walls of separation that, that we tend to build is a wall of separation between our spiritual life and every other part of us. See, we've been ingrained with this idea that you shouldn't mix religion with anything else. You shouldn't mix spirituality with anything else. That's private. That's yours. And, and what registers is that's private. It means it's a secret. I shouldn't, I shouldn't present it. I shouldn't be open about it. It's almost like you should hide it because it's not appropriate. Well, how can you be shaped by something that is not appropriate? How can you live on the overflow of something that you need to hide? It's really difficult to have a life that's integrated. So that's when we have to think counterculturally. Because if you're going to live from the Spirit, we have to understand that to be an integrated person, your spirit cannot be disconnected from all these other parts of you. Your spiritual life can't be disconnected from your professional life. Otherwise, how is the life of God going to flow to your professional life? Your spirit can't be disconnected from your, from your marriage. Otherwise, how is the life of God going to flow to your marriage? Do you understand? Research shows that couples that attend church together and pray together are far less likely to divorce. Why? Because they're living a life that's integrated. Your spirit can't be disconnected from your finances. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there is your heart. So you can't say that you love God, but, but you know, your finances don't follow that. Because then you're just going to spend your money on things that are not going to feed your spiritual life. They're going to feed your flesh. That's a disintegrated life. But the reality, the reality is that sometimes we do that, don't we? We have these compartments and these parts, and we put the Sunday church box over here, and then on Monday we hope to draw from that, but it's kind of like, all right, I got to go and be the work person, to put on the work persona, and then you go home and you put the, the, the home persona, and, and, and you feel like you're disconnected. You're not your whole self in any of those environments. And then we wonder why, we're feeling like we lack purpose. I want to bring clarity of purpose for you today. And if you need clarity of purpose, I cannot tell you the outworkings of your purpose. 
I can't tell you the details of how it's going to happen, but I can tell you the macro picture of what your purpose is. I know the macro picture for every single one of us here today, every single person who ever existed, and every single person who ever exists, because it's the same. Our purpose, God's design for our lives, is to build life-giving connections with others so that we can bless them. That's it. I don't know the how, but this is the what. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know if it's going to be through the finance industry, the education industry. I don't know if you're going to be in product development or content creation or, or if you're going to be in sales or any other field. I don't know what you've studied. I don't know what your career is. I don't know your profession. But I know this, that God puts you on this earth to use your gifts and talents to make other people better. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. That's it. And if you do that right, if you get that right, you'll have good success. You'll have what the scripture calls good success because you're living in the right order. That's pretty much it. God's purpose for your life is not something, but it's someone. It's not something, it's someone. That's, that's how your purpose connects to relationships. And that's how your relationship connects to your purpose. There's a profound statement that Jesus made when he was teaching about his own purpose. People were wondering uh, whether Jesus was a prophet or if, whether he even supported Jewish law. Jesus came into the scene uh, doing miracles and wonders, and it's really hard to, to claim that he wasn't the Son of God when he's doing all of these things, that he wasn't who he was supposed to be. So people are wondering, like, what are you? Are you one of us? Do you even care about Moses' law? Are you, are you, or are you doing your own thing? And Jesus said this. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he doubles down on it. In other words, not only am I in agreement with Jewish law, I am the model. I'm the one you should look to in order to fulfill it how it's supposed to be fulfilled. And at first, it seemed a little bit confusing. In fact, scholars have wondered, what did Jesus mean by come to fulfill? Does it mean like he ended it? Did he close the books on it? Did he start a new chapter? What did he mean by, by fulfill? The Apostle Paul gives us a more practical and more actionable explanation of what the fulfilled law means. And this is what he says, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Check this out. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. These are the, this is the same original word in, in, in the Greek uh, that, that Jesus used. The one that, who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. It's a wonderful picture. It's a picture that you and I can grasp. And it's a picture of the life of Jesus. No doubt Paul wrote this inspired by Jesus. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Think about that for a moment. 
In Jesus' days, following the law was about being right with God. Maybe that's your thought process. I'm going to go to church to be right with God. I'm not going to lie, tell a lie, to be right with God. I want to do things right so I can be right with God. Yet, what Paul is saying is that it's not simply about being right with God. It's not about avoiding curses. It's not about reaching perfection in that sense. It's not simple piousness. The Apostle Paul breaks it down and he says, Listen, first of all, to fulfill the law... Owe no one anything. It's not necessarily about living debt free, although that's not a bad thing to do. Right? But this is about living offense free. It's about living at peace with everyone, living guilt free, living drama free. Don't you want to live drama free? You can say amen and maybe elbow the person next to you a little bit. It's about holding no grudges, to do your part, to make sure that you're at peace with everyone. That's what this is about. Sometimes you can't control that. But as long as you're doing your part, that's what he says. You owe nothing to anyone. As far as it depends on you, owe nothing to anyone. Why? Except to love each other. That's, that's all we should do. That's all we should focus on. And this is how Paul concludes. He says, because the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So let's apply this to Jesus. Jesus was the greatest person at loving others. He told it like it is, yeah. He was hard to follow, yeah. But he was the greatest at loving others. And he loved us till the end. When the nails were piercing him on the cross, he still loved us. When he was put a crown of thorns on, and it was pushed into his skull. He still loved us. When the soldiers were mocking him, he didn't curse them. He said, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing right now. Could you imagine having that heart? Somebody's cursing at you, beating you, spitting on you, and you go like, God, they have no idea. Forgive them. Having mercy and compassion to forgive. Jesus was the best a loving people. And that's how he fulfilled the law. That was his entire life's purpose. He loved people till the end. Now, do you think that any person can love others like Jesus did without the Spirit of God? Is there in us such resilience? Is there in us such ability to love other people with the love of God without the life of the Spirit? Do you think that we can love our, our neighbors without the love, the grace, the peace, the humility, the strength that comes from God alone? And that's how the life of the Spirit is meant to overflow into our relationships. For us to harness the life of the Spirit and, and, and allow it to overflow so that our relationships are not based on exchange, they're not based on interest, they're not transactional because that's an outside-in pattern of living that's a disintegrated basis for a relationship but a relationship that overflows from the inside out has its basis and its foundation in the love of God and so you start with the love of God you start there and then you act with people so how does this how does this happen practically uh, what what is a picture that we can draw from the scriptures that is applicable to you and I today we're going to go to a story 
that's quite popular in the scriptures. In fact, it's become part of our folklore as a culture. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Even if you're not a Christian, you know what a Good Samaritan is, right? It's somebody who helps a random stranger. Uh, but, but the story that, that is in the scripture, it's a little bit more intricate. It has a little bit new, more nuance than uh, what we know in pop culture. Jesus was uh, talking to some of the smartest people in his region about the law of Moses, the, the greatest commandment in the law of Moses. And this lawyer came and questioned Jesus and said, Jesus, what is the greatest law? If we were to rank all the laws, there's about 613 of them. Uh, what, is, what is the greatest? Which law is the greatest, the best law? If you were to pick, what's the top law? Right? And Jesus affirms that the greatest commandment, the greatest law is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and, Jesus says, to love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer goes like, you said it well, Jesus. But since I'm a lawyer, what's the fine print? Right? In other words, who's my neighbor? I get to pick, right? Certainly not anybody. Certainly not everybody. Do I, have to, do I get to qualify who my neighbor is? And so Jesus presents a story. He paints a scenario to the question, who's my neighbor? We, we ought to ask the question, who's my neighbor? Jesus paints this picture. It's a parable. It's a made-up story to make a point. And he says, let's say that there are men, a man was walking down from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a road notorious for, for crime <clears throat> in those days. And let's say that this man was attacked by robbers who beat him and stripped him and took his possessions and left him half dead. So now we pick up in the scripture, verse 31 in Luke 10. And then Jesus says, Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, saw the man on the ground, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, uh, this is a dire picture. I'm going to pause right here because Jesus, you got to look at the nuance of the story. First of all, Jesus says, by chance. In other words, it wasn't planned. It was just a regular day with tasks and duties. Just a regular day with a to-do list where you had to go somewhere, the Levite had to go somewhere, the priest had to go somewhere. Maybe they had plans, maybe they had ambitions, maybe they had problems that day that they were trying to solve. It wasn't an outreach night or a missions trip where the priest and the Levite would be in their best behavior, right? Knowing that they should help others. But it was just a regular day. It happened by chance. Now a priest and a Levite they, Jesus picked these two positions on purpose because two, uh, first, they were respected. Those two positions were titles that everybody wanted. They were respected positions. But secondly, they knew the law. They were the example. So Jesus is saying, hey, let's say these two guys who are religious people, they walk in and they pass to the other side of the road. They walk across the street to avoid the man. I think Jesus was painting a picture 
to let them know that religious people can also live a life that's disintegrated. Religious people can also be spiritual on the pulpit, spiritual in the temple, and selfish on the road. Followers of Christ can live so disconnected that they can pray for Israel and Palestine, they can pray for Russia and for the Ukraine, but they can ignore their next door neighbor and their needs. Ignore the, the worker that works next to them in the cubicle and their needs. See, it's, it's important for us to realize that by chance means that most opportunities you'll have to allow the, the, the flow, the overflow of the love of God in your life will happen when you least expect it. That's what that by chance means. That's when we're called to love. So he continues the story. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay when I come back. And then Jesus asked the questions, Which of the three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell amongst the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Well, you go and do likewise. That, that's, that's how you be a neighbor. It's not about who's my neighbor. It's about, am I being a neighbor? Am I the neighbor? Now, it's important that Jesus put a Samaritan in the story. And I want you to understand how shocking this was to people in those days. Because says, if, the, if Jesus was sharing the story today, the conversation would go something like, all right, a priest, a Levite, but a Palestinian showed up. And a Palestinian bound this Jewish man's wounds. That's how shocking it was. It, it's, it's not just that they were from a different group identity. It's not just that they were from a different background. It's, it's a person who's supposed to be the enemy. A person who's supposed to be, you're supposed to have animosity against him. A Samaritan saw him. A Samaritan had compassion. A Samaritan was driven by compassion. Certainly the lawyer was thinking, Jewish people are my neighbors, right? Not the Samaritans. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Listen to this. A Samaritan, if a Samaritan has compassion on somebody who's hurting, is he a neighbor? Yeah? So you go and you do likewise. Jesus is not talking about random niceness here. He's teaching us how to fulfill the law. How to love our neighbor as ourselves. He's showing that the law of God, the heart of God, the flow of God is not about status. It's not about pedigree. It's not about your occupation. It's not about your title. But it's about how we bless others with what we have. That's really what it's about. It's not about who you have become or what you have accomplished. We all attach ourselves to those things. Those are outer things. It's about not becoming a priest a pastor. It's not about becoming a priest, a pastor, a CEO, a teacher, a doctor, a businessman, a celebrity, or whatever it is that you're pursuing. It's about what you do with that. It's about what you do when you, once you arrive there or on your way there. 
to someone with a lesser status in the eye of the people, fulfilled the greatest commandment in the law, even though he was not a priest or a Levite. Now, I don't, I don't mean to say that the Samaritan was perfect. Maybe the Samaritan had trouble in traffic, right? Maybe the Samaritan sped a little bit sometimes, drove over the speed limit, you know? Maybe the Samaritan wasn't perfect. Maybe the Samaritan, you know, had words during Thanksgiving dinner with some of his relatives. Maybe it happened. Maybe the Samaritan yelled at people at Walmart during Black Friday. Maybe he did. But the Samaritan fulfilled the law that day. He saw someone hurting, and he cared for that person. Now think about the decisions that that person had to make. How many of them overflowed from the inside out? How many of them overflowed uh, with the love of God? Of course, this is a picture that Jesus is painting. But he talked about oil and wine. That's his resources, his treasure. Anointing the wounds, that's his talent, his ability to care for somebody else. He had transportation, his own animal. That means he walked and he put the hurting person on his animal. He sacrificed. That's, he spent money to put the person in the hotel. He spent the night. That's his time. He put his time, his treasure, and his talent toward re- having that person recovered. And he allowed his highest value to care for another human being, to shape how he approached every relationship, including his relationship with a stranger. And here's a question for you. This is a challenging question. What do you do when you encounter someone who's hurting? What do you do when a stranger is hurting? Friends, we live in a world that's calloused. We live in a world that's judgmental. And we ought to to renew our minds and renew our hearts to love our neighbors in the proper way. When someone is bleeding and in pain, do you cross the street to avoid them like the priest and the Levite? Do you, do you look for reasons why it's their fault that what happened to them happened? Do you point out what's wrong with them? Or, like the Samaritan, do you cover and bind up their wounds? Do you care for them? Now, this is not just physical. This is figurative. How can we cover and bind up the wounds of those who are hurting around us? How can we care for them? That's what we're called to do. And that's my challenge to you. It's a simple challenge to you today, but it's a big challenge because it goes against everything that our culture is pushing on us. In a world where everyone wants to be seen and be important, in a world where everyone wants to be a Levite, everyone wants to be a priest, everyone wants to, be, everyone wants to have a following, everyone wants to be an influencer, remember that what makes a difference is what you actually do. It's not your image. It's not your title. It's what you actually do. That's what makes a difference. So what are you doing for others? You have a title. So what? What are you doing for others? Maybe you got money in the bank. Who cares? Lots of people have money in the bank. What are you doing for others? Maybe you have people who work for you. It makes you feel important because they call you boss. Big deal. They probably call you some other things when you're not looking. What are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? That's the pressing question. Are you allowing the life of the Spirit to overflow into your relationships? 
near and far. People you know and people you don't know. If you're in sales, does the product you serve you, or service you provide, does it make people's lives better? They do that well. Do it from a position of, hey, I'm going to value people first. I'm not going to work from the outside in. Look at profit. Look at, at the image. Look at the numbers. I'm going to work from the inside out. From the, from the love of God and out of the love of God, I'm going to value people and that's what's going to shape how I sell this product. If you're in health and fitness, are you helping people get better? Allow the love of God to flow from the inside and value that person and say, hey, I'm going to get you to a better place physically. It's a special thing if you're in health and fitness because you have a way into people's hearts. You, you, can, you can talk about things that nobody can talk about with them. Do your business offer a product or a service that helps people? Well, do it from a place where you value the person first, not just the bottom line. If you're a student, be mindful of others. Be mindful of your classmates. Be mindful of the person who's alone in class, who has no friends. Go after them. Value the person who's alone. Value the person who is hurting, who is in pain, and bind up their wounds. Whatever you're involved in, whether it's politics, law, whether it's customer service, you can do it for a paycheck or you can do it because you love people. And let me tell you, if you do it because you love people, it's going to change your entire perspective. You're going to go back to work tomorrow thinking differently about your job, thinking differently about what you do. And that's the difference between someone who lives life integrated and connected and who lives a life that's disintegrated and disconnected because the person who lives the life that's disintegrated and disconnected they think about the bottom line they think about the price they think about the invoice they think about the numbers and their value for people is all the way over here disconnected from their goal and they feel divided but when you live integrated things have a flow and there's a hierarchy and you know that from your spirit you value people first from the Spirit, the fulfillment of the law is to love your neighbor. From your Spirit, you know that we are to care for people. No matter what culture says, no matter the pi pictures that are painted on your reels and your TikToks, that's not real, all right? Real is the person who's next to you, the person who you work with, your neighbor, the person who might be hurting in your tangential relationships. Be the person who encourages them and empowers them. Yeah, that's what happens when we live out of the overflow. You know, that's why I love being here on Sunday morning because when you understand that, that a life connected, a life that's integrated, uh, uh, works from the inside out, you understand that being here on Sundays is not just about your spiritual box. You understand that worshiping together with other people of faith makes you a better worker, makes you a better employee. Makes you a better husband, makes you a better wife, makes you a better son, a better daughter. Because you're, you're feeding the life of the Spirit, and that's going to overflow into every relationship you have. The life that lives from the overflow values the Spirit, the life in the Spirit. And that's what happens when you allow the life of God to align God's purpose and align your values. I want to encourage you to continue to do that. To continue to be focused on blessing other people and being the healing and the voice of God for them. That's why as a church, we'll continue to move toward connecting people to God. I was just about to call you. 
He, he felt it, you know. He felt it. That's why as a church, we're going to continue to move toward connecting people to God, connecting people to others, connecting people to purpose. That's why we're moving to a bigger location, you know, so we can, we can gather more people. You know, it's interesting because uh, the, the church organization, uh, the, the, the church is an institution, really. And it's an institution that can be criticized by many people, but it's the only institution on earth that the primary mission is not for the benefit of its members. See, if you're a member at a church, the primary mission of the church is not for you. Sure, it benefits you, but it's for others. It's for those outside. It's to bless others. And how do we do that? We do that as followers of Christ, loving them, blessing them. But also as a church, we're going to do that. We're going to continue to do that. That's why we're making room so that more people can be connected. And that's why I want to challenge you to get involved. You know, be part of it. That's how you help others too. We're going to, we're going to continue to grow our kids' ministry to preserve their minds and preserve their hearts, hearts from prejudice, preserve their hearts from the ways of the world. We're going to continue to invest in our youth ministry, prepare their hearts and their minds for the world to live God's way, to live against the grain, giving them a foundation that's solid, that's strong. That's so why we're going to continue to invest in our men's ministry. Build strong men in the Word of God. Build strong women in the Word of God with a women's ministry. I want, to, I want to encourage you today to just meditate on this Word this week. And if you need something to read, read the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Allow the life of God to flow through you. And here's my prayer for you, that you may live life integrated and connected and that you may live a life in the way that you treat people that the way you treat people in, in community may reflect a life that is living in the overflow of God's love and if you do that you're going to change the world and we're going to change the world together do you receive that this morning amen Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.